If I asked you to sit still for 10 seconds, you could probably do it. But what if I asked you to sit still for 15 minutes, for an hour, for a day, for two days, for a whole week? How do you feel then? Hi, welcome to Business Mindset Mastery. I am your host, Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and leadership expert. I work with business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs. You can always learn about working with me over at heathergrayconsulting.com. And today we are diving into a conversation that I honestly cannot believe I haven't had on the show before. First of all, with 300 episodes, sometimes I get surprised that there's any topic that I haven't already covered. But this is a conversation I I've had with myself because it's a behavior pattern I've, you know, sort of observed in myself. It's certainly a conversation I've had with girlfriends over the years. I have it with clients on a regular basis, but it's not until I got this letter from a listener that really sort of made me say like, wow, so many of us struggle with this and nobody's really talking about it. And it's this idea that we have buzzing or anxiety or feelings of unrest that come to the surface when the only thing we're called to do is just be, to be present, to be still, to be open, to be aware, to connect, to stay and be one and sit still with ourselves without looking at the to-do list without planning the next thing we're going to do and when we're going to get it done and how it's going to get done, but the ability to sit still with ourselves and with others. How do we do it when we're chronically hardwired to keep working on the next thing? Now, I know what most of you are thinking. The same thing I think about myself every time. I'm like, gosh, Heather, for 10 seconds, sit still. It's such a first world problem, right? Like we shouldn't take it seriously. But here's the thing, coming from somebody who has a business essentially helping people with first world problems, those supposed first world problems become a really big deal when they go unrecognized and unaddressed. They start to create really big disconnections. And if you look and you listen to today's letter, you are going to find exactly that on the other side. So let's dive in and I will find you right there. Heather, talk about first world problems, but I'm afraid to sit still. Heather, Honestly, I never stop. I have two kids in high school. I run two businesses and I am a mom mentor to a mom with a toddler who has Down syndrome. My sister has Downs and I see it as a way to give back and help people find hope in the diagnosis. This summer, I was supposed to take all of August off. That had been my goal for the entire year to set myself up for a month with just my husband, my kids and a few trips. No work, no volunteering, just downtime. Heather, I was fine through the first weekend and maybe through Wednesday of that first week. After that, though, I found myself getting restless and unable to sit still. My mind kind of raced a little bit. I didn't enjoy lying in the sun as much as I thought I would. Daily cocktails were okay for the first little while, but then I started getting bored. I became irritable, and my husband said, why don't you just go back to work? You're so busy criticizing all of us. You seem to like us more when you don't need to see us as much. Heather, he was dead on right. 
absolutely right. I have no idea how to sit still. When I do, I pick absolutely everything apart. I create things to do. I become the most judgmental, impossible version of myself. I wouldn't have wanted to be around me either. Ever the perfectionist, I tried signing myself up with a local therapist who suggested that there might be some trauma I'm avoiding and that I need to give myself permission to deal with it. Heather, there's no trauma. I was raised in a healthy way and I have healthy relationships with my family. I object to having that truth questioned by someone who just met me 10 seconds ago. By the way, dear listener, I strongly object to that too. I just can't sit still, Heather. I don't know if this is your thing or not, if taking care of this is what you do or not. But when I talked about this to my other business friends, several agreed with me that we all kind of have this a little bit. Maybe it's one of those entrepreneurial syndromes, you know, we like to make up. I know how you love those. Help me out, Heather. What are you thinking here? And what do you think I need to start doing and thinking about to get from a place? I hate what my husband said, and I really want to fix it about myself. Okay, so, you know, the first step, right, is always admitting you have a problem. And I'm going to first of all say, because I'll probably jump out of my skin if I don't say it right away. No, no, no. Like, (laughs) it's not trauma. It might be trauma, but you don't know that in 10 minutes. And I am so sorry that, like, the therapy world keeps, like, just not doing a good job with folks around, like, taking, you know, taking people with where they say at face value. I keep hearing this so often people are coming to me because therapists are handing them these quick like you know armchair diagnosis and I'm a therapist with 25 years experience I know I did it I know people walked into my office and I'd be like hey I can tell you already what your problem is because a hundred other people just like you have come through my office and so often when people can't sit still it's because they're avoiding their feelings so let me just talk to you about that I'm so sorry you had that experience because even if it were true even if you know, there's something going on in your personal life. It is miserable to um, deliver something like that to say, hey, my husband kind of called me out. I'm really not comfortable with that about myself. I notice I have this buzzing and this anxiety and this inability to sit still. And suddenly somebody wants to talk to you about things that you didn't come to the room for. I'm so sorry you had that experience. And I'm so grateful that you reached out to me and gave me an opportunity to offer you a do-over from a clinically informed person perspective because I will tell you if I think there's something clinically up with this, I promise. So often when people are talking about an inability to sit still, oftentimes that is a defense mechanism. People who are constantly worried about the next thing, planning the next thing, wanting to do a good job, can't sit with themselves. They are protecting themselves from something. That's probably what that therapist was getting at. And is it fears of failure? Is it fears of rejection? Is it fears of criticism? So if you're constantly working, people can see you're constantly trying. So then they're not going to say anything. A sense that you just being still with the world, you don't feel like you're enough unless you're doing something. The idea being that as soon as you sit still, perhaps uncomfortable thoughts and uncomfortable feelings start to come to the surface that you have to deal with. And that feels uncomfortable because after all, avoidance is a thing and it happens for a reason, right? Like there are so many 
many psychobabble reasons run amok why sitting still can be hard. It can also be biologically hard because we get like hardwired to move through the world in a certain way when we choose repetitive patterns of being. So if you're just somebody who for years and years has always been go, go, going and do, do, doing and to-do listing and to-do listing. See, I just made to-do list a verb. How awesome and professional am I today? But the idea being like, if you have trained your brain to always be thinking of the next thing and you have trained all of your body memories and your muscle memories to always be prepared for the next thing, then this is your habit. There might not actually be anything quote unquote wrong with you, but you might have hardwired yourself to not be able to sit still. And if you were going to undo that wiring, if you were going to force yourself to be still, to do something pleasurable, to try something new, you have to recognize that anytime we go outside our habit, anytime we do something unknown, it's going to be uncomfortable until we repeat that unknown thing like several times and we create new positive memories from that. So it doesn't surprise me if you have never taken a month off to to feel like you didn't know what you were doing or how to do that. Like how do people just take a month off and not think about work? If you're so used to with your two businesses thinking about work all the time, managing work all the time, you know, and all of that. The other piece connected to this is you might not know yourself anymore. Because if you've been raising the kids and being a mom mentor to a mom with a toddler and, you know, maintaining all of the things that you have been maintaining, when you're still without those things, even if you're right in front of your family, you might not know who you are. You might not know how all of these years of business and all of these years of success and getting yourself to a place where you can move away and walk away from two businesses for a full on month. Who are you now? And what do you like to do? And how do you like to spend your time? Because what I read in your letter is that you thought you should be on the beach with cocktails, that you should be just hanging out and having the idle life. Well, that only works for people who like hanging out by the pool and drinking cocktails. You might not be that girl. You might not be that person. That might not be your thing. And if you just thought about how you should be spending that time and what you should be doing. And you didn't actually ask yourself, what do I want to be doing? You know, I have this month off. I want to spend time with my kids. I want to spend time with my husband. I don't want to be thinking about work. If that's as far as you got, then you're in a room with your kids and your husband and you're all kind of staring at each other or you're doing it by a pool or you're doing it on a beach or, but you're not doing it with some sort of intention other than let's spend time together. So what's missing from this, and I think this is what's missing from a lot of people who struggle with sitting still, is they don't tune into their intention. What do I want to get from this? What am I hoping for? And is this action going to get me there? So, so often people just kind of buzz around and, and, you know, they get all like anxious and 
fuzzy. I don't even know if fuzzy is a word, but that's like how it feels for me when I get that way. And it's how I observe my clients to be when they certainly are like bopping around from one topic to another and one problem to another is they're just getting a little bit buzzy. But if you don't know like how you like to spend your time, what you wanted to do, what your kids wanted to do, what everyone was hoping for out of the vacation, then of course you're getting anxious because you had some sort of expectation. You had some sort of feeling that like when we're all together, it's going to feel like this. It's going to be like this. But maybe you only internally cat, you know, carried it inside you. Maybe you just assumed everybody was going to be on the same page. But if you didn't talk to your husband and you didn't check in with your kids about saying like, hey, we have this month together. How do we all want to spend it? Then you're looking and scanning in an anxious way. Like, does this feel right? Am I doing it right? Is this good? Is everybody having a good time? Because you're trying to manage and run the show without including all of the people that you want to have this relational connection with in your thoughts, in your feelings, and in your goals. So some of it is like a little bit of self-exploration. You know, it's it's figuring out who are you now? How do you move through the world? How do you like to spend your time? What genuinely interests you? And if you're a doer and a go-getter, you might want to read a book and learn something new. And that might not be anyone else's cup of tea, but it might be your tea. You might be bored because you're trying to, you know, drink coffee when you're a tea person or you're trying to like read a book when you'd really rather you know, take a course online or something for all I know. But one of the things that I think when people say, oh, I'm going to take time for myself in August. Oh, in August, I'm going to have a month off. They're not checking in and tuning in with themselves in the moment. So what that ends up looking like is this frenetic, anxious, buzzy thing, because they have decided they're not taking time for themselves or they'll check in with themselves or they'll have that downtime later on down the line. So then you have this storage of just like stuffed down crap. And so, you know, the therapist that you saw, like, you know, jumped away insultingly too quickly to trauma, but might have been having a point that you have some stored up frustration. You have some moments of biting your tongue, of not saying what you mean and not meaning what you say, so that as soon as you have, you know, you get still, it all comes bubbling and like pouring forth through the surface. The other thing is, is I think particularly as women, we are sometimes wired to believe that like, if we're not doing something, if we're not checking something off a list, if we are not accomplishing something, bettering something, you know, that we're not worthy, that we're not good enough. And I spend a lot of time in my work with clients. And I certainly, when I was a therapist, spent many hours with folks and, you know, in counseling sessions. And now, you know, through my coaching, you know, sort of work with folks saying like, hey, P.S., you are enough. Beginning, middle, and end. You are doing enough. You're showing up enough. And you can stop trying so gosh darn hard. Because I think sometimes we we're, we don't even know where the line is. We're working and we're working and we're pushing and we're pushing and we're going and we're going. And it's, we don't know what the end goal is. We don't know the destination is. So we don't know if we've arrived yet. So it's so much better 
to recognize that, you know, being still with yourself, being able to leave the to-do list at home on the desk behind you, or dare I say in a drawer and in a cupboard where it's hiding. If you were taking regular check-ins with yourself, how am I doing today? How are things feeling? Who am I? When was the last time I took a day off? When was the last time I said yes when I really meant no? When did I, you know, sort of censor myself from what I really thought? When did I deny myself an opportunity for what I really wanted to do because I was nervous it was going to inconvenience other people? Because what ends up happening, if we're not doing that journey all along, then it just like overtakes us as soon as we're still. And it's in that same way where I don't know if this has happened to you or, you know, you've experienced it with friends or colleagues, but like the people who are real workaholics, they go and they go and they go and they go. And as soon as they take a vacation, they get sick. Well, that's because as soon as their body is able to like stop, it catches up with itself and goes, oh, whoa, you've been really winded. You've been really tired. You need to sit yourself down. So I think that's another piece of this. In addition to maybe perhaps you plan some activities that you didn't like, And, you know, this idea that you don't quite know who you are right now, like that's definitely something worth paying attention to. I also think if you don't deal with things in the moment and you have a habit of stuffing them, that's also where that, you know, that criticism comes because that finger we're pointing at other people, really, we should be turning it around and focusing right on ourselves. Because the thing that annoys us the most about other people turned inside out is usually a reflection of what it is that annoys us about ourselves. Now, the other piece to this that's commingled with it, that's sometimes separate, is sometimes right tied up in a knot around it is anxiety. And sometimes people can't sit still because they're too gosh darn anxious. They are constantly thinking like, what's the next thing that's going to go wrong? What's the next thing that I'm going to be caught off guard for? What do I need to prepare for? What do I need to have a plan for? And so some of this could be good old fashioned generalized anxiety, a pervasive worry. And one of the things that like, if you recognize that in yourself, you are going to have to do some work with an, you know, someone who specializes in anxiety, or you're going to have to look at, uh, you know, a good entrepreneurial book that might, you know, be able to help you understand this. I've done several episodes of the show on anxiety. I don't want to end up going into a whole another podcast breaking that down for you. Um, But an inability to sit still is also simply commingled with anxiety. So you want to be honest with yourself about that and, you know, look into learning some anxiety management strategies. Um, Again, I I teach a bunch of them in some of my older... um, in some of my older episodes, I have one in particular. Um, I think it's anxiety, how to suffer less. I'll try to link it up for you in the show notes. Um, but you know, if you're recognizing that sitting still and, um, you know, is just simply becoming almost impossible for you, then my guess is more than trauma or anything, it's linked to anxiety. Um, And that doesn't mean you have to go to therapy for it. I deal with people who, you know, manage anxiety all the time. It goes hand in hand with, you know, fear busting and correcting limiting beliefs. So you could certainly find myself or a coach that you buy into that help you kind of attack this and understand it better and remove it from your regular every day. But I can also tell you that a lot 
lot of people struggle with sitting still when they've lost their ability to connect. And I'm wondering a little bit, when you talk about the picture of your life with the two businesses, being a mom mentor and all of that, when have you had time for connection with your kids and with your husband before August? Because if you kind of decided like, oh, we're all going to catch up in August. Oh, we're all going to catch up then. Then nobody, you know, I just talked to you a little while ago about body memory and moving through the world as you always have. Well, you know, there might be some body memories that people are just simply not used to you being around full time. So they've gotten used to just seeing you for an hour at dinner or a quick couple of hours in the morning on a Saturday or something, but they're not used to all being together all the time. So sometimes you just have to spend some time on the relationship. You have to spend some time being curious, asking people questions, observing about them, catching up with people, like really asking them how they are, knowing how your kids are, how your husband is. I think that, you know, one line he delivered to you is really something to pay attention to. This idea that he felt so quickly criticized um, and that he observed that the kids might be feeling that as well. Um, you know, that's only after four days. So my guess is that maybe there's a pattern there that you might want to pay attention to that he's been feeling this way for longer than those four days. And that perhaps that, you know, in all of the busyness and everything you've been doing, perhaps there's a disconnect. And I think sometimes when people feel disconnected connects, but they don't quite see them like, okay, I don't feel quite connected to the situation, but my kids are in the room with me. My husband's in the room with me. There's a difference between that physical, we're all in the same room versus emotional, but we're a little bit disconnected and disjointed from one another. So I think that's another area. So I hope, you know, as you hear me walk you through those avenues to think about and to consider, I hope you can see that like, while this isn't, you know, people are starving in Africa level crisis, that this is something worthy of your attention because it affects your mood and it affects your relationships. And anything that affects your moods and affects your relationships is going to directly affect your business and your bottom line. It simply becomes unavoidable at some point. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to kind of jam on this a little bit and to share some of my thoughts with you. I certainly hope I've given you a takeaway. I certainly definitely don't want you walking away from this chat with me like you did from that therapist. So I hope you had a nugget or two that's helpful. And the same to all of you listening in on our dialogue. If you're in that struggle, know that, you know, I'm in it with you. I'm happy to help in any way possible. If like the listener today, you have a question for the show that you want my two cents on, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can always find me at heather at heathergrayconsulting.com. Thank you so much for today. I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.